to Mark's gospel. Father, we thank you that uh, of all the things that we look for and could possibly seek to assuage our guilty conscience, we thank you that there is nothing else as effective, nothing else that can cleanse us from the stain of sin other than the blood of Christ. We thank you that there is full forgiveness available to every sinner who comes to Christ in faith. We thank you for the riches of gospel hope and gospel healing and gospel help that are ours in Christ. Lord, give us, we pray, a greater sense of the wonders of those truths, even today, as we rehearse the gospel together in thinking about the Lord's Supper and what it signifies. We pray that you might be honored among us. May your word uh, plant seeds of gospel hope and truth, and we pray that you may be honored as we look into your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if your Bible is in front of you, or if you're looking on your phone, or uh, I hope that's what you're looking at on your phone, um, let's look at Mark chapter 14. It's on page 1207 in your pew Bible, page 1207. Uh, Mark chapter 14, I've decided to just go ahead and um, uh, pursue this course of um, in our times of around the Word, is to look at the Lord's Supper today and Palm Sunday a message next Sunday, and obviously a Resurrection Sunday. We'll be looking into the resurrection of Christ. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. And while they were eating, that is, eating the Passover meal, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is to be shed on behalf of many. Truly I say to you, I shall never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I find that uh, one of my memories of growing up that is uh, full of all sorts of humorous and meaningful memories was the fact that my family would consistently eat meals together. Now that, I'm sure, is a rather odd-sounding phenomenon for some of you, but that was normal in my life growing up. None of us would have ever imagined sitting down in front of a television in my childhood years and eating a meal by ourselves. That just wasn't something that was acceptable nor normal. And none of us looked at any screens on a cell phone or a pad of some type during a meal all by ourselves. Thankfully, that wasn't even an option back then. But it's a real phenomenon today's world. Sadly so. But my parents insisted that we all gather around the table, and I can remember we used to have prayer together, we say the blessing together, we have to hold hands. Well, I just had a major battle with one of my brothers. I'd be sitting there pinching him, or he'd be squeezing my hand, or the battle continued on even around the meal. But we were together as a family. 
And so it was during those family meals shared together that we learned from each other. Sometimes we'd be laughing, sometimes we're cleaning up spills that always seem to happen on a regular basis. And we shared more than food. We shared our lives together. And I've been thinking about that as we approach the idea of celebrating the Lord's Supper together again. And to look at this text of the Scriptures here, we notice that numerous times in the Gospels, we read that Jesus enjoyed meals together with His disciples. It was a consistent phenomenon. And we know that Jesus Himself strategically and intentionally took the steps to make sure that provisions were made so that he could celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples the night before he died. It was a very significant meal. He did not eat that meal alone, and no one would eat that meal alone. And the Apostle Paul tells us that as we think about this final Passover meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples, it has continuing significance for those who are followers of Jesus. Believers are expected to continue sharing the Lord's Supper together, as we read in the Bible, until Jesus returns in glory. It is something that's why we continually repeat the celebrating of this meal together. And there are several, over several millennia, this simple meal has become cloaked, unfortunately, with all sorts of controversy. All sorts of theological confusion has now seemed to uh, impact this particular celebration of the Lord's Supper. But I just want to cut through all that today. I want us to just go back to Mark chapter 14. I want us to think about briefly some of Jesus' comments that he made regarding this meal. And I want us to summarize four aspects of the Lord's Supper, four components, if you will, of this wonderful meal shared together by the people of God that God invites us to take part in. First of all, I want us to think about the meal as a symbolic meal, a symbolic meal. All of us, no exceptions, I'm sure, all of us utilize in our conversations in day-to-day life figurative language. Uh, suppose uh, you had purchased a car in the not too uh, long ago, and you drove that car home, and you parked it out front where you live, and you announced to your family, hey, I've got my new car. Come on outside. I want to show it to you. And so they all walk out there, and you say, this is my new car. And when you say that, the comment, this is my new car, you mean that literally. It's right there, and you're pointing to it, and they're all enjoying it with you. That's a literal statement. However, if you suppose several months after that fact, at that particular occasion, you are explaining around the dinner table, supposing that you do eat together as a family, and you were to recount over dinner what happened to your nice new car and that it got a fender bender. And so you're going to try to explain what happened, and you're trying to explain the, the different situation that occurred. And so you would take, for example, and I've done this before, you take a spoon, you say, okay, well, this is my car, and this car came this direction, you take a fork, and you're going, and he came and he clipped the back of my car because he went like this. Now, when you say, this is my car, utilizing a spoon, that's what? That's figurative language, obviously. The spoon is meant to represent your car. 
Well, the same is true, obviously, in this particular account of the Lord's Supper, it seems to me. If you just read it at face value, there are indicators here that Jesus is utilizing symbolic language in that Passover meal. Jesus did not intend his comments to be taken literally when he talked about his body and the blood of Christ being in the cup. For example, Jesus takes the cup, which contained wine, which is very explicitly spelled out right there in verse 25. Did you notice that? Where he says in verse 25, this, drink again the fruit of the vine. That's what he's talking about that was in that cup. He said that fruit of the vine, the wine in the cup represents the covenant, yes. But he's also saying that in, no one in that upper room would have understood Jesus to mean that the cup, when he held it up, actually contained blood, blood that belonged to him. Matter of fact, if you think about it, drinking blood for a Jew that had grown up reading Leviticus chapter 17 would have known that you're not allowed, nor are you supposed to ever drink or eat blood. It's forbidden. So Jesus spoke in symbolic terms. And the bread that he is commenting on there and holding up in front of them and breaking in front of them is meant to portray his body that was about to be broken. The cup represented the, the sealing of the new covenant that was accomplished when he died on the cross. In other words, his purpose in assigning symbolic meanings was to help his followers to understand and to remember the benefits of what he was accomplishing moments later in his death on the cross. And by utilizing these common food items, because believe me, those were commonly enjoyed by the people of that day. They drank wine probably on a regular basis daily, and they also enjoyed daily bread. He would have been, he would have been emphasizing the horrific cost that he paid to provide the blessings of the new covenant. When the bread was broken and the wine is poured out, Jesus is trying to once again remind his disciples the nature of his atoning death. His provision of the blessings of the new covenant came because he was about to go through moments of violence. He was about to go through moments of severe, tremendous agony undergoing the wrath of God. And by utilizing food items that must be ingested, that is, they are to be consumed. They were not just to merely be worshipped. They were to be consumed as regular food items. Jesus visually is portraying the fact that each of us must trust Jesus personally. Just as you trust the nature of this food that it's safe to eat, I am trusting Christ fully. I am making His work on the cross something that I am fully trusting on myself as I personally place my faith in His sacrifice on the cross for my hope of eternal life. Apart from our personal faith in Christ, we have no spiritual life in us. Let me just say again, I just am so burdened by so many of us that perhaps because of our background or our growing up years, we are taught that the Lord's Supper seems to be a magical meal, as if there is something going on, the, this idea of the transubstantiation, the, the idea of things are changing in front of us, even though they look the same, but they're actually changed. 
May I suggest to you that is such a contradiction of the clear teaching of Scripture. That such a view of, of transubstantiation, it is insisting that the Lord's Supper is really a perpetuation of the sacrifice of Christ in an unbloody manner. That Christ is being re-sacrificed again and again in order to make satisfaction for sins. But my response to that kind of teaching is to once again just say, what was going on in that upper room? Was Jesus holding up these food items over an altar? Or was he merely offering them over a table in which they were reclined around and having a meal? There was no altar there. Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. There's no need to repeat a sacrifice. When Jesus gave up his spirit, he proclaimed what? It is finished. At that moment, he stamped the penalty for sin paid in full by God through Jesus Christ. And so the Lord's Supper is a symbolic meal, portraying the fact that all who come to Christ in true, repentant faith, they find in Christ all we need for spiritual life. It's found in Christ. And each time we partake of these symbolic elements, we declare the full and unreserved reliance that we have upon Christ, His death for us. And as we partake of this symbolic meal, our souls are nourished as we find that the life of Christ within us is strengthened the more we think about and, and, and ponder and reflect on the gospel again and again. And so when you come to the Lord's table, are you reminding yourself of the gospel? Christ died for our sins. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me, that he died so that I might live. He died at great cost so that I might be spared all I deserve to pay all the cost of my sins. And so as we come to the symbolic meal, we're reminded of the price and the privileges of redemption. There's another aspect of this wonderful meal. It is a community meal, a community meal. And that's found in verse 22, for example. You notice verse 22, Jesus said, Take it, this is my body. It's unfortunate the English translation there misses out on, does that mean you personally, you, that you as an individual take it, or you all take it? And let's put on a southern accent, let's say it the way it should have been. It was meant to be plural, so you plural take it. He's saying, y'all, y'all take this, all of you. And then verse 23, they all drank from that cup. The intent was that the meal was to be shared as a fellowship of those who shared it together, not individually. I wonder if you've ever had occasion where you have eaten out by yourself. I find that to be awkward, right? Now, again... When I was a youth minister right out of college, I lived in the home of an older couple. The church found me a place to live so that it wouldn't cost me anything. And this older couple had a little uh, bedroom with a separate entrance, and so I was able to stay there for no charge. Uh, I didn't have any kitchen privileges. 
Uh, the older couple weren't about to feed me, and I'm not sure I wanted to eat the food that they were preparing, but that's all right. Uh, anyway, the church gave me a few extra dollars for me to eat out. And so I did. I would go out to eat by myself. And the food tasted great. I enjoyed that. But I'm telling you, after a while, this is before cell phones. I had nothing to do, right? Nothing to look at in front of me. And so what do you do? You're sitting there eating alone, and you're looking around, and you say, there's two things that are on my mind right now. I'm eating, and I am alone. It's just awkward. But that's what you do sometimes. But that's not what this meal is meant to be. It is the exact opposite. What we're doing when we're invited to the Lord's table is we're reminding ourselves that, as Paul kept saying to the Corinthians, listen, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33, when you come, you, so then, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. There is a, there's a collective sense of we do this together as followers of Jesus. And the Passover meal was always celebrated as a family. And so therefore, the Lord's Supper is thought of to be a family celebration among the family of Christ. And when we share this together, we are bearing witness to our unity together in Christ. The fact that we share mutual blessings in Christ. We share our mutual dependence upon Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 has an interesting passage. If you've got your Bible, see if you can find your way over to 1 Corinthians 10. Chapter 10, beginning in verse 16. It is not surprising that a lot of the writing about the Lord's Supper done by the Apostle Paul was done to the church that was the most divided church. He is trying to remind them that the Lord's Supper is meant to celebrate our unity, our union together with brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, we read, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake from one loaf, one bread. So what we're saying then is that the Lord's Supper is something we do as a family of God. We gather around the table and we remember the death of Jesus and we affirm that we share an equal status. Sinners saved by grace. People who at one time were cut off from God, now we're adopted as children of God. We're a part of this wonderful family that God has graciously made us members of. And as we pass the bread and we pass the cup, we, we affirm that the life we share together is done in fellowship with Jesus Christ. He is the one we're all united to, and therefore we're united to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And because that's true, it's important that as we share the Lord's Supper together on a regular basis, that we not make a mockery of this community meal. Because if we need to be reconciled to a brother or sister or brother in Christ, that we are to take the time to think about, as I'm celebrating the forgiveness that God has extended to me, it's an opportunity for me to be reminded I need to extend that same forgiveness to someone else who's offended me. And to partake in this community meal, it means I have to forsake any attempt on my part to, be live, to live with resentment in my heart 
with an unforgiving spirit toward another brother or sister who has offended me in something, I need to let that go so that I might what? Remember, this is a community meal I share together. So when we come to the Lord's table, my question again is, are you reflecting over the wonder of the gospel of reconciliation? That God has reconciled, He has brought you from being far away and cut off, now He's joined you to Christ. And therefore, that gospel is going to insist that every member of the family of God is joined to other members of the family of God in Christ. And therefore, we are equally loved, we are equally forgiven, we are equal recipients of the inheritance of Christ, and there's no need for competition. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's a community meal, it's a symbolic meal. Thirdly, I would suggest to you, it is a celebration meal. The Passover meal was not as some of you maybe have sat through in your life, a rather depressing occasion. There have been some meals I've sat through that I thought, ugh, can't wait to get away from this table. Uh, it's just not very enjoyable to be here because there's not a lot of significant conversation and nobody's saying anything, and obviously there's a lot of problems going on. No, the, the, the Passover meal was a time to celebrate. It was a time to celebrate God's marvelous deliverance of His people. And it's not by accident that you read in verse 26 of Mark 14 that the meal concluded with a time of singing. It says, they sang a hymn before they left. And commentators have suggested that the types of hymns that they most likely would have sang on that occasion were hymns from the Psalter, from the book of Psalms, and some have even suggested more than likely it was taken from Psalm 113 through the selections of 118. It's called uh, the Songs of Ascent. And the themes of the, all these Hebrew hymns was one of thanksgiving for the Lord's saving mercies, for His saving goodness. God is to be praised for the great acts of redemption, most notably obviously in the Lord's Supper, is the fact of His redemption coming through the cross of Christ. I wonder, have you ever shared a meal as a way of saying we are going to celebrate the conclusion of something that we have really been anticipating and looking forward to with great joy? I find that meals were a great way for our family to celebrate graduations. So we would always just go out to eat and say, wow, we have a lot to celebrate here. Uh, perhaps it was a celebration from graduating from high school or college or graduate school or whatever it was. Uh, some of us have celebrated the paying off of a mortgage uh, that you have for years and years uh, been hoping would happen. Or the birthday of someone who's reached a milestone of what, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, even 100 years. We know some people who reach these milestones. Great time to celebrate. But when you think about how incredibly wonderful the gospel assurances are that we have because of Christ, things like we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or he says in Romans 8.1, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How can you do anything less than celebrate when you think about the wonders of those truths 
and what has happened because of Christ and what He has accomplished, what He has done for us in the gospel, how He has saved us. As you partake in the Lord's Supper, I hope that your heart will be bubbling over with a music of praise coming out of your heart as you think about what God has done for you. Listen to these words of Psalm 117, part of that psalter, a Hebrew psalter that likely was sung on that occasion. It says this, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. In other words, Jesus was treated so poorly and miserably, he is now the one who is filled with the position of highest honor and glory and majesty. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I wonder that when you come to the Lord's table, are you filled with a sense of celebration? For some of us, I think we come to the Lord's table, we feel a sense of mourning and sadness over ourselves and what we have failed to do or what we have should have done. We knew that we were intending to do, but we didn't do it and we haven't been doing that well recently. Or we think about somebody else and how they have not been doing well and how they said this or they did that or they should have done this and they didn't do it and we're focused on the lack of joy because the focus is on ourselves or other people but may I remind you that the Lord's Supper is to get our eyes off of those things and think about and celebrate the wonder what God has done in Christ he did not fail he has accomplished it and because of that we, don't, we should not be focused on our failings, on our performance, or how well we are doing or not doing. We are celebrating what God has done in Christ. So celebrate, my friends. Celebrate. When you lift that cup to your lips, say, this is a cup of celebration. What God has done for me in Christ. There's one other point I want to draw out of this text. And I do so in a way in which I think makes perfect sense because not all of us find it easy to celebrate. It's called really this, another aspect of this meal is an incomplete meal, an incomplete meal. Normally there are four cups that are shared during the Passover meal. Uh, Jesus lifted up, we believe, the third cup when he said this cup is... Uh, the covenant, new covenant in my, my blood. Uh, verse 25 would seem to suggest in Mark 14 that Jesus' final cup is to be consumed later on. He said, Truly I say to you, I shall never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What's he saying here? He's saying, rather than finish out the meal by drinking that final cup, I'm telling you that there's going to be an interim period here from the time in which we are finishing this Passover meal, having a third cup, and the final cup. I'm not going to get back to that until some time takes place, till the final kingdom comes. So we understand that to mean the time in which Jesus returns in glory, right? That's why we're not surprised that Paul's instruction to the church when they have the Lord's Supper is that you're to what? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes 
we continue to celebrate knowing that it's not fully done yet, this meal. And so our experience of the blessings of Christ's death are incomplete in this world. The fullness of our salvation, we understand, is not going to be fully enjoyed until Jesus returns in great glory and wonder and power. Only then, when Christ returns, will we completely see and enjoy the full sanctification that God has begun in us and that we will not enter into that state of being glorified until that final day. And so therefore, only then will sin no longer be present in us. Until that day, as we continue to come to the Lord's table, we're reminded that what? We are going to remember that Jesus Christ was crucified. We're going to remember that Jesus Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is coming again. We're going to remember that for those of us who come to the Lord's table, we're burdened with a heavy heart because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there are many things that are sad and that are mournful, that we grieve over the things that are not the way they should be in this world. We grieve over things in our own heart and lives and things that we think about in our minds that we know, oh, how I regret those things. We have a battle that we're waging in our members. There are some of us who feel the disappointment of failings in our flesh. Take heart, my friend. Christ is not finished in you. The battle continues on, yes, but he will win that final battle. He is coming back. He's going to make things right someday. Don't give up hope. We're eating a meal that's not complete. Why? Because it's reminding us that the full redemption of Christ is not yet complete. But it will be. Our Redeemer has promised to return. And He's promised to complete the work that He's begun in you and me. And so when we come to the Lord's table, are you reminded of the hope of what lies ahead? Do you realize that every time you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you're just that much closer to the day when Christ comes in great glory. And I wonder if the curse of sin, the corruption of the world, and maybe even the deceptive ways of the devil himself have begun to weigh you down. My friend, remember, your Savior will come again, and He will complete what He's begun. Let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together after we pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are not left in this world to be alone. We thank you that you have, by your grace and through your power, through the work of Christ, you have taken those of us who were orphans, left on our own, trying to live life on our own, those who had rebelled and re rejected you, we thank you that you have placed your love upon us through Christ. You have called us to yourself. You have bought us with your blood of Christ. You have made us your own, adopted us, given us the spirit of adoption. And you have now insisted that we come to the table. That we come to be reminded 
of the great symbols that point us to Christ and what He's accomplished for us. You've invited us to come and celebrate, to get out of the, the pits of despair and of self-reflection and looking on our own failings and remember the glories of what Christ has accomplished. You've reminded us that we are part of a family. We're not alone. And that you've included us in this wonderful family of God. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would also remind us as we now gather to the Lord's table this day that the meal is not really fully complete. It won't be complete until we're gathered around that celebration of the Passover, of, of the Lamb's uh, marriage feast someday, Lord, when we were gathered with all the believers and your full redemption will finally be complete. And so, Lord, may this be a hope-filled time as we celebrate you together, reminding ourselves and celebrating the glories of our Savior. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.